We're going to study the Word of God. As we study the Word of God, we're going to find ourselves being overwhelmed with how big God is and actually how small we are. (laughs) We're going to find ourselves realizing how glorious of a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. And then as we get to the end of all of this, through the wonderful Word of God, our prayer is that we would all take home something to give us the grace to grow this week, some application. That's where we come to the so what section of, of the sermon. But please turn to John 21. If you're not there yet, please take your Bibles, the holy text of scriptures this morning, and turn to John 21. Today we're going to briefly wrap up our discussion on John 21. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to minimize uh, much review. Last week we were in the prayer of the life of Hannah. The two weeks prior to that, we were talking about grace through failure in John 21. Well, today we're going to kind of pick back up in John 21, but I'm going to bank on the fact that we all have decently good memories on what happened in the first part of John 21. So I'm not going to go back and take 20 minutes or so to review, but I want to take this time to transition into the last part of John 21. We're still advancing on our understanding of what is biblical grace. As a foundation to what we do here at Cross Point Community Church, any ministry venture that we have, our prayer is that we would embrace the grace that God gives us. So what does that look like? Grace is seen in our failures. We see this in the life of Peter. Grace is also seen as God Almighty empowers us for future ministry. Well, that's where we're at today. So we're talking today about grace to serve. I want to review a couple quick things about this grace. This grace is an undeserved and unearned gift. It is a gift from God. As we go through the scriptures, we need to tag this. Almost every time you read about this grace, you could almost implant the word gift in that context. Based on the context, you could almost implant the very word gift. It is a gift from God. It is an unearned gift, and it is an undeserved gift. And this gift is favor with a holy God, something in no way we could manipulate on our own strength. Scriptures is very clear on that. This gift is new life in Jesus Christ, something in no way we can manipulate. As good as we think we are, there's no way we could possibly match the holiness of God. And for this reason, God in all his grace sent a great Savior, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins on the cross of Calvary. So grace is about divine favor. Grace is about new life in Christ. And then grace is about enablement. Giving you the strength for today and tomorrow and the next day to live a life for Christ for all of the days you live on this earth and then into the future. This is grace. Grace goes so far beyond just bringing us into a relationship with God. And this is why we're doing this study. When we talk of grace, it's so much more than just God bringing us into favor with God through, divine, uh, through Jesus Christ. It is so much deeper than that. Grace takes us all the way through our spiritual lives and sanctification. This is this grace. Another aspect of this grace that we've been looking at specifically the last couple weeks is this. God's sustaining grace both supersedes failures and empowers faithfulness. This has been seen in the life of Peter. 
I hope the last couple weeks you've been able to soak in, not just simply looking at the life of Peter and saying, oh, that was a really cool event that happened in the life of Peter, but looking at how amazing your God is in the life of Peter. How magnificent his grace is. His grace to supersede failure in the life of Peter and to empower faithfulness. So we could say a lot more about that, but here's the gist of it is, even though we experience moral, spiritual, emotional, psychological failures, God's gift of grace not only picks us up after that failure, but also drives us to continue on in faithful living. Keep going. Get up another day and serve Jesus. This is what grace does. In other words, and I think this is a good reminder for all of us, God still wants you. Not because you're so awesome. God still wants me, not because I'm so awesome. A uh, saying we have around our house, and I love this, from Mike Woods. <laughs> he says, you're all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> That's what's going around our house, and my son loves that. You're all that in a bag of chips. No, God doesn't give us grace because we're all that in a bag of chips. God doesn't give us grace because we're so awesome. God still wants me not to make me be the best me I could possibly be. That's not why grace has redeemed me. God's grace is not to give me my best life now. That's not why God has given me his grace. But simply because I can be a usable vessel for his eternal glory. That's why he showered us with grace. So that's where we're at with this concept of grace, not for how, how amazing I am, but for how amazing he is. And this is clearly seen in the narrative, the story of John 21. We clearly see this unfold in the life of Peter. Peter, it's not all about you. It's all about me, Jesus says. So as we've gone through this, clearly we realize that gospel life and ministry are not all about me. Our so what takeaway, a couple weeks ago, we kind of just touched on this. We didn't really spend some time digging into this. But here's kind of the so what. Gospel life and ministry are not all about me. It's not all about my personal resolve, resolve to get her done. We're like that, aren't we? We just got to get her done. That's Peter. He stepped to the plate and like, on my own, I'm just going to get her done. It's not all about my ideas or my vision or my preference in how to get her done. That's another part of this. If you think about the life of Peter, he clearly had a way he thought Jesus should do things. <laughs> and he actually rebukes Jesus. This is the whole scenario where Jesus turns around and says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> We're talking about the foundation of the New Testament church being called Satan. All right, this is Peter. Peter had in his mind a view of how Jesus should do things. But gospel life and ministry is not all about my view of how things should be done. It's not all about my resolve to get her done. It's not all about my personal temptations to compare myself with people that are getting her done. And that's a massive part of the equation that we haven't quite touched on yet and that we're going to touch on today. As a body of Christ, God's grace helps us to navigate around this thing called comparison. We show up to church, we love Jesus, we meet through studies all week long, and the temptations of our minds is, I'm just as good, and actually I'm a little bit better than that person. I can do it a little bit more effectively than that person. And what happens? Our vision goes from this vision, 
this vertical vision to worshiping God and the beauty of his holiness to be consumed with what is everybody else doing? You know, the fact of the matter is you can always find someone that you're better than. <laughs> That's why Paul to the church of Corinth says this. If you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're not wise. But I want us to see this in the life of Peter as we wrap up John 21. So I want us to see this. Let's jump back into John 21. Let's look at these verses on the screen behind me. 19 through 22. I want us to see this battle that, G- that Peter has with comparing himself with other people. This is from the onset. Jesus has just told Peter, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He has clearly redirected Peter's thinking. And what happens almost within the same paragraph? We're talking about the same minute and a half possibly. What happens? Well, look with me at verse 19. Then he said to show what kind of death, this he said to show what kind of death he was glorifying God. So if you remember back to the story, Jesus shares a blessing with Peter. And this blessing is, Peter, you're going to die for me. Okay, we can go back. We're not going to go back and review that. But this was a massive blessing for Peter to hear. Because next time he gets put into a situation where he could possibly deny Jesus and die, he would make the right choice. That's the blessing of this promise to Peter. The last part of verse 19. And after saying this, he said to him, what? Follow me, Peter. Peter, turn. this is like immediate. So I, in your mind, think of Peter following Jesus now. Jesus said, hey, follow me. And from here we now have, I believe, the Great Commission. We have other teachings of God, uh, Jesus, to his disciples saying he taught them from the law of prophets all the way through where he was in scriptures. This teaching has happened, but Jesus physically, I believe, is saying, hey, follow me. Let's go. Hey, Peter, come on. And as Peter turns and follows him, this is so characteristic of Peter. What does he do? Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him all right away. Peter's heart was filled with a bit of envy, possibly. The one who also had leaned back against him, Jesus, during the supper and said to him, Lord, who is it, going, who it, is, who is it that's going to betray you? Peter looks over there, and who does he see? The author, human author of this passage we're reading right now. It is John. And he sees John, and he says, hey, what about that dude? What's he going to do? I absolutely love the reaction of Jesus Christ here. When Peter saw him, he said to him, Jesus, uh, verse 21, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain all the way until I come, Peter, what is that to you? (laughs) You follow me, Peter. I mean, what's happening here? Peter's constantly taking his vision, being like, yes, yes. He can't figure out which way to look. And constantly, Jesus is saying, Peter, stop looking at yourself. Stop comparing yourself with everyone else. Look to me. I am your Lord and Savior. You will receive your grace from me, Peter, not from John. Look to me, Peter. So what do we have in this chapter? This is a massive redirection of our focus. It's a massive perspective change for those followers of Jesus Christ. God's grace gives us the proper perspective of God, ourselves, and others in ministry. And when we come to the fact that God's grace gives us a a different perspective in others' ministry, that's what leads us in the discussion today. Because what happened in the life of Peter? 
After this perspective change, after Jesus spent more time walking through this with Peter, Peter had an effective ministry for Jesus Christ, for God's glory. So the simple take, the, the key idea today is this. God's grace should motivate all true believers to do what? To serve. We dig this right from John 21. Peter, follow me. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, you be involved in ministry, not for how big it can make you look, but for how big I am. This is the passage. God's grace should motivate all true believers to serve. So, have you ever been around someone who's absolutely thrilled to serve God in any capacity? It doesn't matter what it is. Have you ever been around someone like that? This person is so good at spotting needs and stepping up to fill them. So if you go out in the community, this person somehow finds a way to talk to everyone they come into contact with and to get below the superficial surface answers to the real need and then meeting those needs right away. That's in the community around. This is the type of person who serves when they come to church. They're so good at getting below the superficial and finding your need. How can I serve? Even if it's not in an official capacity, this is the type of person that comes to church on Sunday and finds some way to be a blessing to someone else. This is that type of person. And you know what they're doing the whole time? Maybe their life isn't perfect. Absolutely not. Our lives are not perfect. We're messes saved by God's grace. But this is the type of person that can put a smile on their face and is singing the whole way along, encouraging you. You ever been around that type of person? On the flip side... I'm not going to try to pick on anybody today, but on the flip side, have you ever noticed how the temptation of our hearts to come to a church service on Sunday morning or a Bible study during the week after just the grind of your week, and have you ever seen this person who comes, and you know the temptation of your heart, my heart, and that is to think everything is about me. I'm entitled to an awesome service today. Amen. I, <laughs> there you go. point right there, right? I'm entitled to come and sit in my comfy seat, to have the temperature just right in the church. I'm entitled to not have to have a little bit of rain hit me from the car to the church. I'm entitled to sit there and sing my four favorite songs from my playlist that week. And I'm entitled to sit there, and that pastor better not preach long, because you know what? I'm entitled to my food in my crock pot. And, and this kind of weasels its way into our thinking. You know what I'm talking about. And so people come to church on occasion with this temptation to think, this is all about me. I'm entitled to this. This fits perfectly into our culture right now. The culture around us says that life is about you. You be the best you you can possibly be. Well, there's elements of truth in that, but by God's grace, we're not going to be the best me I can be. We're going to be the best for God's glory that I can possibly be. When we come to church, it's not, I deserve this. It is, I, how can I serve in any way? And the way of Jesus, as we walk through the scriptures, is it transitions from, I deserve this, to I will serve any way I, I'm needed. That is the transition of following Jesus Christ. That is what Peter is going through right here in this passage. So today I want us to look a little bit more of that transition. That transition from I deserve to I will serve. 
Let's look at this a little deeper by looking at the fact that God's grace anticipates ministry effort. Two things we're going to look at today. God's grace anticipates ministry effort, and God's grace compels ministry unity. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this today, but I want to see how this comes alive in Peter's life, and then we're actually going to tag into the Apostle Paul's life a bit today. But first of all, let's start off with this simple concept. As we understand God's grace, we realize that it anticipates ministry effort. Simply, God's grace anticipates that we follow Christ with all we have. I want us to see this with what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. It's going to be up on the screen. You can turn there if you'd like to 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. I love the story of Peter and then how his lessons in life through the Holy Spirit come out in his writings. Well, in 1 Peter 4, we see a little bit of this service mentality. Would you follow along as I read starting with verse 8? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Quick time out. Had, had Peter experienced that? God's love covering a multitude of sins? We're talking specifically of three. Three times he denied Jesus Christ. Three times Jesus reaches out to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He's compelling him. His love, feed my sheep. Peter, follow me. So Peter says in verse 8, since love covers a multitude of sins, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grudging or grumbling. How hard is that? Show hospitality to each other and do it without grumbling about it. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We'll talk more of that in just a minute. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the words of God, the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves, and I love this, who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is an amazing passage. We see Peter's heart come alive in this passage. And what's happening? Peter says here, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. What is he talking about? This is not something you pursue. This is something you enjoy. This gift It's not some amazingly miraculous expression. It's not some amazingly miraculous expression taken completely out of context, out of a transition time in God's redemptive plan. We're talking about what happens in Acts, and there's a lot to that discussion, which we'll get to someday. But it's an extremely practical way to tangibly serve. You know what the word serve means? It means to wait on people comes from the concept of waiting on their table the scripture says here as each one has received a gift wait on their table be a table waiter this gift is a personally and i love this because this shows the personal relationship we have with jesus christ it is a personal crafted and designed ability for you to serve the body of christ in an effective way 
Again, we're not talking about some hyper-spiritual expression, but we're talking about a tangible way to serve God today. And God has crafted you in a way to serve the body of Christ. That's what Peter is saying here. He says this, use it to serve one another. Take that crafted gift that God's given you to serve and use it. Use it to serve one another, to serve them like a table waiter. And here's what he says. Clearly, he says, as a good steward. Now, what does that mean? It's beautiful because what does a steward do? What is stewardship? It's taking care of someone else's stuff, right? That's what a steward does. You are simply taking care of someone else's stuff. And Peter says, by grace, you're taking care of someone else's stuff. You're taking care of God's stuff, God's resources. It's not all about you. And Peter, thinking back to his life, I can imagine saying, yep, I learned that lesson, and I'm still learning that lesson. It's not all about me. It's about taking care of God's stuff as a table waiter. And he says that, as good stewards of God's varied grace, properly taking care of the grace that God has provided. What is this? Simply, this is service through God's strength. If you could advance the slide one bit, that would be great. This is serving God's people with God's resources using God's strength, not a manipulated strength of my own, thinking I can do this. I got this. I can get her done. This is serving with God's strength. I want us to see this from this service concept that grace anticipates ministry effort from a different perspective. We've been spending a lot of time now in the life of Peter. But there's another fella. As you go through the book of Acts, you find the transition from the life of Peter into the life of Paul. I want us to see this concept of grace leading to effort in the life of the Apostle Paul through his personal testimony. It's a different context, 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, you can turn there if you'd like. I'll go ahead and read a couple of these verses. I'm not going to go all the way through 1 through 11 this morning. We'll start probably in verse 9. But this is a different context. Transitioning from Peter to Paul, we find here a Paul talking to a bunch of people in Corinth that were consumed with how awesome they were. We're talking about status-driven people. Even when they would get together in 1 Corinthians 11 to enjoy the love feast or the communion table, what was their mentality? It's all about me. I'm going to go find my group of people, and we're going to go over here. And you go over there with your group of people. And our group of people, yeah, we've got it on you. That's the mentality of this church at Corinth. And what does Paul say to this church? Well, if you'd quickly look with me at verse 9. Listen to the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. Verse 9. I am the least of the apostles. (laughs) He has just gone through the gospel grace. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, visibly seen. Jesus was visibly seen by all of these evidences, including 500 people at one time. That's the gospel. Because of the gospel, my life has been changed, Paul's saying. But in all of this, what does Paul say? I'm the least of the apostles. You know what? And I'm not... I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I was to think about, I highlighted it on the screen. He says, on the contrary, I work hard. I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So even though he's saying I'm putting effort into it, he's, he's couching the concept of working hard with grace on both sides. God's grace brought me into relationship with him. Now I'm going to work hard. I'm going to labor, some of your translations will say. But I'm going to labor with the grace of God. And then he returns to the thought in verse, back in verse 10, the second part. I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. It's not about me. It's not about him. It's not about her. It's not about this group or that group. It is about the grace of God on our behalf. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What is this? This is service that requires hard work. I love this. Because Paul had, been, had received grace, he was willing to work hard. I mean, that's just a flat fact. I didn't include it on your notes, but if you want to take your pen and write down this verse, Colossians 1.29. I think this comes to life in what Paul says in Colossians 1.29, where he's saying, yes, God has given me great grace. My, his grace is sufficient on my behalf, but God's grace now leads me to a life of daily discipline for his grace, in his grace, realizing I can't earn his favor. I don't deserve his favor, but now I'm going to live by God's grace. What does he say? Look at or Colossians 1.29 says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he, is power, that he powerfully works within me. Let me read that one more time. This is Paul saying, because of God's grace, I'm going to put effort into this. This effort, this hard work looks like this. I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is grace. Grace doesn't stop when we come to Jesus in justification. Grace continues to the day we die. We're dependent on the grace of God. And what does this grace draw out of us? Labor. Hard work. What's the point? In our elder meetings, I've enjoyed speaking with Pastor Tallon and one of the series that they're going to be talking about, the Me and Church, and I believe a, uh, a conference he's doing, here's the theme. God has not saved us uh, to sit. God saved us to serve. <laughs> That's the flat fact. That God has saved your soul, not so that you could sit on the couch, but that you can serve him daily to put effort into this walk. God's grace, and you'll hear me probably say this often, that God's grace is opposed to earning, but God's grace is never opposed to effort. Do you understand that? God's grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort in our spiritual lives. To put one foot in front of another, that is God's grace. When Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, this is an absolutely serious call. Follow me with all you have. Quite frankly, this goes beyond and actually against our entitlement-driven culture, does it not? What reigns supreme in our entitlement-driven culture? One word. starts with a C and ends with an umfort. <laughs> comfort. Our culture is driven by comfort. 
I need to find this church where I can, again, find my comfortable seat. And, and if you don't provide all the comfort necessities of, that I need for my life, guess what? I'm going to go over to my Wendy's church. I'm going to go to my McDonald's church, my Burger King church. I'm going to find the church that serves it just the way I like. Please don't get me wrong. There are clear reasons to transfer churches. And they're right there what's on your lap. It's the word of God. If there are things that don't match the word of God, that is a great reason to transfer out of that church. But I'm going to tell you, in our comfort-driven mentality, we all has to be about us. What ends up being set on the back burner? A passion to serve Jesus, to follow him till the day I die. What's the simple takeaway with all of this? Jesus says, take up your cross, brothers and sisters. Follow me, Jesus says in Luke 14. To follow Jesus means that we will transition in our minds from I deserve something amazing to I will serve somewhere faithfully. So we just spent a little bit of time looking at this simple point. God's grace anticipates ministry effort. If we've been saved by God's grace, we're to put effort now into this walk with Jesus Christ. I want us to look at another aspect of this because what happens when you have this person over here putting effort into the ministry and this person over here putting effort in the ministry and this person over here putting effort in the ministry and somewhere along the way they have different perspectives of how the ministry should look. What's going to happen? Some of this. But that's where God's grace is beautiful in the fact that it brings unity. God's grace compels ministry, unity. This is the beauty of God's grace. We could go right back to 1 Peter 4, but I think I'm going to hold off. We're going to go to Romans 12. And we're going to see this in Romans 12, starting with verses 3 through 8. Listen to what Paul says. Since we're already on this guy Paul, who through the Spirit writes these passages, listen to what he says, talking about this grace that compels ministry, unity. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, There it is again, right there from the onset. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to what? The grace given to us. Let us use them. And there's more to this passage that we will definitely get into at another date. But what's this point here? God's grace drives us to put effort into our spiritual walk, but then God's grace compels unity as we're on our walk. What does Satan want to do? I want to tell you what Satan wants to do. This person who all, is all gung-ho about serving Jesus, this person who's all gung-ho about serving Jesus, Satan wants to get in between them and drive dissension. That's the tactic of Satan. And what does the grace of God do? It reminds us that though we were poor, that he was rich, he became poor, that we through our poverty might be made rich. Grace says you didn't deserve what you got because you didn't deserve what you got in his mercy and kindness. You better show mercy and kindness to this other person in the body of Christ. This is the effect of grace. So much can be said about this, but a couple quick observations. This passage 
is saying this, this unity is driven by humility of mind. It starts with how we think. When we come to the body of Christ, it's not, man, I'm all that in a bag of chips. It's coming to the body of Christ saying, you know what? Everyone among you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is what grace compels. Grace compels that we get along because Jesus has saved our souls. What else does this grace do? This quick observation. This unity is one that sees worth in other people in the body. Have you ever fallen prey to the temptation to think that my ministry and what I'm doing is most important? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. How I serve is like the marquee ministry. (laughs) That's how we're tempted to think, and you know, rightfully so in some aspects, that we ought to put effort and put time into our ministry. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of times we're a lot more significant than we actually are in our own minds. What does the scripture say? There is worth in what other people are doing in the body of Christ. There's worth in someone that's teaching. There's worth in someone that's serving. There's worth in someone that's, that's cleaning. There's worth in someone that's out there cutting the grass or changing the sprinklers. There's worth in someone that's scraping the boogers off the walls in the nursery. There, there's worth in the body of Christ. How does Paul express this? The rest of this passage I'll start in verse 4 again. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Hey, we're on the same team. Brothers and sisters, we're in this together. The oldest one in this room to the youngest one in this room. Guess what? This is not a separate team over here, the teen group. They're not a separate team. They're part of the cross point team. Guess what? The King's Helpers group, they're not a separate team. The Sunshiners group aren't a separate team. The elders, we're not a separate team. We are part of the body of Christ. We serve together. The deacons are part of the body of Christ here. The men's ministry, the ladies' ministry. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, will do it with generosity. Now, a quick time out there, there's some here that in your life, you're not to the point, what, whether it's a physical ailment or whatever it may be, you can't serve the way you did one time. Well, Paul clearly says here, there's some that can serve with their generosity of gifts. Maybe you can't get her done, but you can help with with resources that'll get her done. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, I already read that verse, sorry. Back to verse eight. The one who leads, well, you better do it with zeal. If God's called you to leave, you better not be a dead in the pan guy. You better lead it with zeal, some energy. The one who does acts of mercy, well, don't do it grudgingly. Do it with cheerfulness. What is this? Simply, Paul is saying here, it's not all about my abilities. It's not all about my preference. It's about worshiping God. And as that happens, we're truly, we truly appreciate the worth of the people sitting around us. The worth of the people cleaning. The worth of the people organizing. The worth of the people designing. The worth of the people that take hours of their time 
volunteering for the body of Christ. We praise God for that. We appreciate the greeters, the ushers, the prayer warriors, the teachers, the children's workers, the baristas, the janitors, the musicians, the sound team, the deacons, the elders from, man, I wish they'd get their act together. Here's what Grace says. Grace says not, man, I wish they'd get their act together and do it the way I think they should do it too. Man, I'm so thankful to God for others who serve faithfully. That's what grace does in our lives. I remember as a young man, I I sincerely appreciate a dad and mom who involved my family seriously in ministry. Even as a little critter, going and helping to set up chairs and tables. (laughs) Going to help clean on a Saturday evening. Um, And I would watch. I watched very intently to see how people around the church served. Behind the scenes, how they would take time to build something, to clean something, to manage something. There's some in this room that had a massive impact on my life because of their behind-the-scenes service in the body of Christ. And as a little guy, I'm talking like fifth, sixth grade, I'd sit back and watch. I want to tell you who my heart started gravitating toward is the people that behind the scenes cleaned not the person who, when the time to serve came up, they were off the scene. They're, but the people that volunteered said, I'm going to do it. I want to hang out with them. You know why? Because they're doing it and they're singing the whole time. They're not the one over there sitting in the corner finding something wrong with everybody else in the church. They're the ones actively serving. So what? So what? What's the takeaway here? Well, here's the so what. Has God's grace motivated you to serve with effort? You can't do everything, but you can do something. (laughs) This is not a race, natural consequences of of sins of our past that we regret. Clear biblical qualifications of, of church leadership, those are still in there. But the fact of the matter is God's grace sees beyond our failures. This doesn't erase pain from choices we've made that that may exist physically or emotionally those those still happen but the fact of the matter is if you're God's child and if you're still here on this earth God's not done with you God has something for you to do if you're part of this body the body of Christ cross point community church God has something for you to do there are places for you to serve here at cross point If you can't think of something, start with walking around on a Sunday morning with a smile and telling somebody you're glad they're here. If you can't find something, start by picking up something around you. Ask Rob, Rob, what can I do to help? There's ways to serve around this body. Find one of the elders, one of the deacons, say, hey, what can I practically do to serve? And as they bring up something, do it. Don't get so caught up in, I need a place of teaching. I need to be up in front of people teaching. I need to be running this or organizing this. What happened to, you know what? If I need to pick up chairs in the, in, in the gym, I'll do it. If I need to stick around to clean the, clean the kitchen, I'll do it. That's the mind of Jesus. This is the way of a table waiter. This is the way of a foot washer in the scriptures. Another question is this. Has God's grace compelled me to serve in unity? One thing about service is it's a constant temptation, as we've already addressed, to look at other ministries and to kind of compare. To look at 
other ministries and sort of have a little bit of a critical bend towards those other ministries because maybe they're not doing as good as you think they should do. The flat fact is this. We refuse to base ministry effort simply on abilities, perspectives, preferences, resolve. We base ministry effort on God's grace. Grace. God's grace that elicits humility in our lives on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that allows all of us the privilege of doing what? Serving with the people around you. I know I'm sort of singing to the, uh, preaching to the choir. Why? Why do I say that? Yesterday, showing up and seeing the upwards football down there. We're talking about faithful servants of Jesus down there. Arthur Gorman holding his arm lock like this because he had surgery on his hand this week with a smile the entire time. I only stopped by for a little bit. There's people out there for hours all day. We're talking about a, a less conference who had work to do yesterday, but he flipped burgers for hours. Guess who? Someone had to take down all that stuff in the rain. We're talking about that type of ministry. There's some in this church that show up here until late hours. There's some here that, that work tirelessly finding something to do for the body of Christ. We're talking about a couple of servants of Jesus that came over to help me at the house this week. People that can't wait to help others. This is the way of Jesus Christ. Serving behind the scenes. Serving in any capacity that God has given me. Finding a need and filling it. God, what can I do? Because here's the point of the scriptures. God's grace of this scripture. God's grace should motivate all true believers to serve. So God, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us today to study your word. I pray, God, that we would be servants we would serve faithfully. God, I know there's some apprehensions in this room from maybe past failures or fears in ministry. Oh God, I pray that you would help us by your grace to see beyond those things. God, to serve anyways. As Satan brings those things before us and kind of dangles them in front of our face, I pray, God, that those fears, those failures would not trip us up when it comes to ministering. There would be a body of Christ who, who, here who faithfully serves with unity because that's what God's, your grace does for us.